Please be aware that the Movie Club podcast can and will contain spoilers for the films being reviewed. You have been warned. Enjoy the discussion. Dardas speaks to you, his chosen ones. You have been raised up from brutality to kill the brutals who multiply and are legion. This end, Zardoz, your god, gave you the gift of the god. The gun is good. The gun Penis is evil. The penis shoots seeds and makes new life to poison the earth with a plague of men, as once it was. But the gun shoots death and purifies the earth of the filth of brutals. Go forth and kill. Hello, and welcome to the Movie Club Podcast. This is the show where various movie bloggers get together and discuss a couple of um, predetermined films, and this week we're going to be doing Zardas and Flash Gordon. And I guess we'll just start off by introducing ourselves. We'll kind of go around the table here. Um, I am Andrew James from Row3.com. I am Marina Antunes from Row3.com and QuieterThoughtUS. I'm Kurt Halfyard from Row3.com and TwitchFilm.net. I am Sean Dwyer from FilmJunk.com. And I am Jay Cheel from uh, the DocumentaryBlog.com, FilmJunk.com, and JayCheel.com. Yes, you are. Uh, so, I think what we decided here is that we're going to do talk about Zardoz first. And uh, we decided at the last minute here that I was going to have hosting duties, and I'm not prepared to give the uh, synopsis here. So, who who was the one that actually chose this? Because I actually wasn't on the last episode, so I didn't hear the discussion on whose pick this was. Hurts. That would be me, uh, okay. because I think that this movie is the most awesome bad movie ever made. And uh, So who, uh, tell us who the director is and a synopsis. Okay, so here it is. Uh, John Borman directed Deliverance, which was nominated for a shit ton of awards all over the world. I don't think it actually won like the Oscar or the BAFTA or anything, but it was nominated for so much. It was a huge success at the box office. And the director had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted to do. And clearly, he needed to do a post-hippie-infused science fiction fantasy cultural parable with Sean Connery in a big red diaper and hooker boots. That was the burning need. I actually have no idea what Zardoz was like on paper before they started shooting, but it just seems to be that particular era I mean this is sort of the same zone when The Prisoner was on TV yeah I got a big Prisoner vibe out of it this time and yeah it was just the really ridiculous production design was was in flavor and so the basic plot of Zardoz is it's like the year 2300 and society has collapsed from overpopulation or, or some war or apocalyptic reason uh, and a small enclave of people have retreated 
um, with their supercomputer into these little hidden pockets. In the meantime, the rest of humanity is left out in the outlands, and they get the 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 civilized people get the outlanders to farm for them or keep the population under control by pretending uh, that they are this huge floating head. And if, if there's one thing that stands out in Zardoz, it is its opening sequence, which is just absolutely magnificent. Um, but eventually one of the uh, outlanders, uh, an exterminator named Zed, uh, finds his way into the vortex and figures or tries to figure out everything that's going on and starts a huge revolution inside the thing. And there's lots of A-cup nudity um, <laughs> and lots of mirrors and uh, lots of really bad costumes um, running around for a while and green bread. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and if this synopsis makes no sense, that is kind of the experience of watching Zardoz for the first time. But if you watch it a couple times, it starts to make sense. But no, it's kind of funny because this was actually my second time watching the film. I didn't remember that much about it, and I kind of realized why because I still don't understand it. And even hearing you sort of go through that synopsis, I mean, some of it I was like, yeah, but then some of it I was like, where did you get that from? Like, I was reading the Wikipedia plot synopsis, and I was kind of, like, still trying to piece it together in my head. I don't know. It, it's it's a definitely, we've watched a lot of weird movies for the Movie Club podcast. I think this has got to be the weirdest so far. I don't know. Um, I would concur. Th- for me, this was a first-time watch as well. Um, I got a big kind of Jodorowsky feel from it. Uh, but not quite as out there as Jodorowsky, but it still had that vibe to it, particularly because of the, I think, sort of the the budget and and era that the film was made in. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's really odd and strange. And then somewhere in the middle, for me, it kind of started to make sense at what the director or the story was getting at, um, and then it just kind of devolved into this weird performance piece thing and. I hate that kind of shit, and so, um, yeah, I don't know. Like for me, nothing really clicked here at all. To be honest, there were snippets of something cool once in a while, and it's not that I didn't get it because, like, I did get it. What was happening and what was going on in terms of what the director was trying to say, I just didn't find it particularly interesting, and I found it really, um, like, kind of. I don't want to say trying too hard, but just like everybody was on drugs and not in a good way, like in a Jodorowsky kind of way, just kind of like, <laughs> let's just be lazy about it and do the cheap method. And let, this would be interesting to look at. And then it's not. Yeah. And for me, it's, um, this is the second time I've seen it. I hadn't seen this in probably 13 years or something. I first saw it when I was in high school and it certainly had an effect on me back then. Um, but I, I've, I've always sort of felt that um, there's some really interesting ideas here, but none of them were ever really fully developed. And I'm still sort of feeling that way now that I've seen it a second time. It was a lot of fun. It was really strange. Uh, the costumes are oddly and awesome. But in general, it's just kind of like, it's there. It 
picks at some interesting ideas, but I don't think I, it just gets really, really muddled once it gets through the first twenty minutes. It's like you're sort of on board, and then he gets to the vortex, and it's like. Yeah, okay, things just got really bizarre. And then they start throwing in these little tidbits about religion and sexuality and reproduction. It's kind of like, really? You're going to try to shove all of this into this movie? And it just gets lost. For me, at least. Well, I think I can understand why Kurt is a fan <laughs> at some level. Because you, you're definitely a fan of, you know, uh, sort of hugely ambitious films that try to, you know basically do everything they can in like 90 minutes to two hours or whatever and uh, I feel like Zardoz is that but I do feel that you know for me anyway like there's there's definitely some enjoyment to be had on an ironic level and maybe that's not cool to say but you know when you see those images of Sean Connery in this crazy outfit and you realize this is Sean Connery like this guy was just playing James Bond and now he's starring in this. It just, it, it's, you, ha- you can't not watch. Like, it's kind of a train wreck in a lot of ways. But then again, I do see that there's something behind it all. And I don't know, I'm hoping this discussion sort of brings out some of the ideas that are there. Like, I, I think religion is definitely a big one. But I don't know if there's anything else that you guys got out of it. Okay. Uh, there's nothing else I got out of it. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not... I agree that the one major way to experience Zardoz is with a, a hint of irony, but I found, you know, I, I found Sean the appearance of Sean Connery chuckle-worthy for the first five minutes, and then I was like, okay, now what? And <laughs> it, it just... Um, it felt really belabored. I felt very... I felt exhausted trying to keep up with all of the ideas in it and how poorly they were um, distributed. And I, I've had a lot of trouble putting on the let's laugh at this hat and uh, have fun with it because I just I didn't find it very fun. Um, I just mostly found it boring, unfortunately. For me, particularly the last like half hour or so, I, I just absolutely had enough at that point, and I I, was, I struggled to to be honest. Yeah, I wasn't even paying that much attention. Once he's running around in mirrors, and there's this weird like art on faces, and sort of the <laughs> just stars all over the place, and just wandering around and trashing a like a hall of books. I don't know, like it just that stuff. I just was pretty much bored as well at that point. Well, I think the phrase half-baked was invented for this movie. I, I'm completely <laughs> on board with that. There's a lot of these cultural, religious, how society works, how society forms, how society breaks down stuff in this movie. But things are either incredibly obvious, as in a character pretty much comes out and says it, or they're just not developed because the film has to get on to showing all these little subcultures within, because I mean, within the vortex, there's three subcultures within the little tiny group of people that are inside the vortex, and there's at least two subcultures out of outside, and so there's just a lot of collections, and they disappear for long stretches of the film, and they come back. But for me, there's just 
it's not even an ironic level. I just enjoy watching a director go for it, just absolutely do everything without any seeming restraint whatsoever. Uh, I just... I don't know if I, I would say that it's an ironic level that I that I appreciate that I actually do appreciate that there's no science fiction or fantasy movie perhaps shy I, I don't get as much Jodorowsky as I do get the David Lynch version of Dune that that's another movie that takes itself incredibly serious has massive production design and doesn't quite get all of its ta- uh, ideas on the table it has perhaps a better collection of characters than than this movie, but clearly in Zardoz, there's a heck of a lot of care taken to details, even if they're not crucial to making the movie work. Like, all these people that you see wrapped in plastic over the course of the movie, you see them in the head, you see them later, I mean, they're clearly what happens when one of them dies and the tabernacle computer has to reconstruct them, so all the plants and various things that the computer keeps track of and keeps immortal are are shown over the course of the uh, movie. And many people say there's there's this unnecessary explosion at the end of the movie and people always say, well, they just felt like they needed an explosion in the movie, but it actually does correspond to the computer shutting down. And I think a lot of these things that people just think, well, that was just flat out weird actually make a fair bit of sense. I'm not saying that they're articulated or or shown cobbled together well by Borman uh, but there was actually a vision in this movie even if it didn't come across um, I mean another example is the um, like all the men have long hair and they kind of look like the women and the women are all like like straight figured like Charlotte Rampling you'd never say Charlotte Rampling has curves I mean, mm-hmm. she's she's a, a an androgynous woman, and and I mean, they do say in the movie that you know over hundreds of years or whatever that the, the two genders have lost sex because there's no need for it, and they've been just shrinking into one gender, and they've actually yeah. did that right at the casting level of the movie, and then they of course they're going to cast James Bond and make him really hairy and <laughs> and accentuate his crotch because. Sean Connery is everything that's virile in the movie. Um, I mean, one can question whether or not having your hero be a murderer and rapist over the like, and you wanting to be on board on that. I, I have no idea. I'm sure this movie was taken in the '70s, like it was taken now. I mean, this movie completely defies any era that it's in, even if it does have that post hippie meltdown aspect, but I think every audience is weirded out by this movie. I just wanted to touch on something since you brought it up, and I think it uh, it's one of the things that I thought about after I saw, saw it over the weekend. Um, you mentioned Dune and how it also sort of tries to put a lot of stuff on the table, that, and it isn't completely successful. I've always found that, for me, one of the reasons I like Lynch's Dune is because it works well within the concepts of what I understand of the books. And I found that this, there's so many great ideas in Zardoz, I think it would have made a better like series of novels than it does a film. Because there's a lot of great small concepts in this idea, actually, the one that you just mentioned about this lack of 
you know, everybody's sort of becoming one sex because sex isn't required because everybody lives forever. That's a really fascinating idea. And but the thing is, it's just it's sort of thrown up there. It's up there for you know fifteen minutes. Sure, it's in the casting, but you know it's not really discussed any further than that. Not that it necessarily needs to be, but I would have liked to see more of it. And it's something that in a book you could probably go on into great deal detail about. And I just found there's like little other little things, like even the opening sequence with you know this head is throwing out guns and talking about penis, and it's just it's so bizarre. And it's never really explained. Like, they go into some half-assed explanation towards the end of it. But I would have liked to get a better sense of this universe. And I don't think that's ever really presented. Probably because of lack of time. And they're trying to squeeze so much stuff in. I don't think this was the best medium for the story, is basically what I'm getting at. Yeah, well, it is interesting that Orman wrote it. Like, at first I kind of thought, oh, this is probably adapted from some sci-fi novel that's mm-hmm. actually pretty cool, but it just doesn't make sense on the screen. But he wrote it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like you said, Kurt, I, I'd be very curious to see what the script itself was like before he shot it. Well, one element that, to me, doesn't work is the actual character of Zardoz, or what's his name? Arthur Frayne? The right. the guy with the painted-on beard. Like, I mean, this movie goes out of its way to alienate you right from the first frame. It's a floating head of a guy basically saying everything is his story, and he has a painted-on mustache and beard. And I think what Boorman was trying to get at, I don't know if anyone's seen Christopher Bowe's uh, reconstruction where... You know, the whole act of cinema is an act of construction and illusion, and I, or F for fake, even, that we talked about on the last show, where there's this sort of, I mean, he even borrows the Wells mirrors stuff. I don't know which one came first, to be honest, though. I think this one might have been first. Um, but he wants to get at that, but he can't. So that, that, that whole character is left as like this fourth wall break that doesn't work. I think the movie would have worked better if they had just eliminated that character, but to go back to what you said earlier, Marina, I, I, they do actually kind of explain everything. Like, this guy was left in charge mm-hmm. of controlling, and he was com- given complete autonomous control, perhaps some wacky, unintentional metaphor with the filmmaker. Uh, <laughs> but he, at first, just had them killing each other, but then as their society started to collapse, they realized they couldn't make enough food for for everyone because they lost half their people to this apathy disease so now they had to go and enslave the people that they were trying to call the population they're trying to call they had to turn now the warriors into farmers so that they could bring the grain back mm-hmm. and so it wrecked the society outside and then the society inside couldn't function and now had to you know I, I'm sure Borman had either some metaphor on Britain or America at the time and, and you know how it was pulling stuff from other things. I'm not saying any of it should really deserves a university thesis, but I'm sure all of these things were on his brain. I, yeah. I'm sure he was going to. This is. I'm sure he felt while writing the screenplay and and starting the pre-production, the phrase that went through his mind all the time is that this is going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. And it is and it, kind of in a way. No, it is. I agree. It is kind of in a way pretty freaking awesome. Do you guys know uh, when, like when when he started writing this? Because to me, this felt like a remnant of the '60s, and by the time you get to the '70s, it's not quite as 
uh, profound or whatever. Um, you know, because I felt like it was just a sort of an anti-PC, um, who we are as people, as kind of savages, and the sexual nature of us, and um, the even the violence within us, that that is what makes us actually superior. Um, the people that are straight-laced and, and just want to get along and whatever are end up being inferior and so i kind of felt like it was a remnant of like the hippie culture of the 60s and i mean if you look at borman in 1963 would have been 30 so by the time this movie came out he was 40 so i assume that when he was writing it maybe he was like 35 or 36 right at the height of the 60s like subculture do you get uh, i'm totally guessing on this i'm just thinking that it feels like it was written around that time any, well, get that vibe? You know, whether whether it was written then or whether you know he just kind of lived through that period and kind of retained some of those values and still wanted to put them on screen, I I, I, I definitely think it is influenced by '60s culture. But I think like I don't know, it's weird. Like I just wanted to like break down sort of the idea of all these different groups because like I guess like what you're saying is that there's sort of this idea that you know, society has just gotten totally bland and boring and we can live forever, but we're not really living or something. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, and then Sean Connery is kind of sent in there to sort of break all that up and to actually, you know, show people how to live, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but like how to get Sean Connery's group of people that he was part of that do, that do all the killing. They're called the brutals or something like that. Yep. And then there's, people who live forever and are, you know, resurrected by the computer or whatever, they're the Eternals. Mm -hmm. And then there's the people who have the apathy disease that they call the apathetic or something, right? Mm -hmm. And are they, they were Eternals that just got bored of life kind of thing? It's the same with any, a lot of vampire stories or any any story that goes with the immortal. There's always the people that just, you know, too much, but now they see, and this is the other sort of ironic thing. The movie is drowning in irony. Like the, the, there's so much irony in this movie uh, that it it almost folds in on itself. But the the other thing is that the when they invented this computer that would keep rebooting people if they tried to kill each other or whatever, they actually erased any ability, any knowledge of it. So they're kind of immortal, but with no actual knowledge. The computer just keeps on ticking. Right. So, now, are there any other groups that are in there? There's, that I'm there's one more, and it's the because the um, because they're like a really prudish society that has no violence in it, and there's no way to punish people. They punish people by aging them. Right. But because they can't actually age, once they've committed enough crimes or added up enough penalty, they just become senile old people that are still immortal but they're they've got all the issues of aging and they just stick them what in what appears to be a greenhouse with tinsel and uh party favors uh <laughs> and uh they just they sit there and well it looked like they kind of end up becoming almost barbaric wasn't that mm-hmm. the group where they had to like run in really quick and throw some bread and then run out cuz the they were just sort of left in this almost dome like they became violent there was a couple of them like sword well, because fighting they outside. were the renegades they were the people that that 
weren't obeying the laws of society. So yeah, yeah. They, and they and then at that point they just wanted to die. Can right? I, they were violent to be able to die. Can I just say the all the things that we're saying and discussing? If you haven't seen the movie, it all sounds really interesting. Like there's, there's but it's not. It's it's portrayed in such a shitty. Like that scene is so blasé. It's it's not interesting. That's the part. Like if they would dwell on it a little bit more, or maybe just had some better acting, or a little bit if they had spent some of their special effects money on special effects instead of drugs, like it would have just worked out a little bit better, I think. And the drugs are the special effects. Man. I mean, the discussion is far more interesting. Well, a little more interesting than the actual movie. Uh, that's the thing. There's two ways to enjoy Zardoz, and it's ironically or by breaking it apart and trying to inject the missing pieces that Borman uh, either wasn't even aware of or mishandled. And for me, both of those um, approaches are, are not interesting <laughs> in, in regards to this. It, it just... Because he he overcomplicates it. Like it, I think he could have, as a parable, he could have had the same, a better point even, or the same point by pulling out like fifteen of these ideas. He could have had three, like one basic concept, and had the same impact. But he, it's almost like he had a notebook of cool ideas and wanted to to put them all in there. Mm-hmm. And it just gets to a point where it's over. It's overcooked. Yeah, it's no, it's the nineteen seventies version of Southland Tales. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's exactly. lost. The entire six seasons of Lost take all of the weird plot twists and and ideas and put it into a ninety minute movie, and it's like too much. Well, and and to get back to the TV analogy, I mean, it would be the film equivalent of The Prisoner, which was a popular mystery based. TV show at the time, which also had this sort of post-hippie production design. Um, I almost felt at times like it was actually being shot on the set of The Prisoner. Like, it just, it was very weirdly reminiscent of that, but um, I, I think you're right, though, Jay, that, like, I think the problem with the movie is there's so many ideas and so many things that he's cramming in there. I, like, I honestly don't really feel like there's much of a plot. Like, there's not really... Like you're watching it, and it's like, what am I waiting for to happen? Like, I guess you're waiting for Sean Connery to break up this, the monotony of these people's lives, and, and you know, I, I don't know, it, but it's just, it is kind of boring to watch this See, happen. I disagree. When I watch the movie, I let it just wash over me, and, and I don't look at it in a, I mean, I can, to a very small degree, look at it like, holy, that's bad shit crazy, but I actually like to just... It's it, it's that choice of musical piece, which, which we try to work into the Movie Club podcast often, um, Beethoven's Seventh uh, Symphony. Um, it You just sit there, and you're overwhelmed by that piece of music. It's an incredibly powerful that's piece of like music. two minutes... In the entire film. No, but I'm saying that the film echoes that for me. I, I really do feel that with all the things that are going on, and, and for every dropped or half-baked idea, Borman succeeds with an absolute dynamite image. Like, I, I love the the fuck 
knowledge transfer in the middle of the movie <laughs> when mm-hmm. they want to bring um, Sean Connery up to the like collective knowledge of of the Eternals. They they basically just project video and theater and and mathematical formulas on like two or three of the women while they're fucking Sean Connery. I mean, like that's that's a legitimately awesome film image and the the other scene when um connery discovers the computer terminal for the first time and it's like a projecting ring and they play with like the eye on his hand and on his forehead there's a lot of projection on projection and then the hall of mirrors stuff i love like all the the crazy like there's just crazy multiple reflections and and things i mean it's kind of ugly and vulgar, but that's kind of the point of his character. He's a walking, ugly, vulgar machine. So the movie is true to its like to its lead character. See, I, I just don't think that I the image that I did like in the film was the floating head spitting out guns, and it got to that again for me. It just kind of peaked too early. It peaked five minutes in, (laughs) and that image was about as genuinely crazy as for me that it got. The rest of it was just, for lack of a better term, hippie wankery. It was just like, um, like Andrew said, stuff you'd see at like a performance art uh, theater or something, Um, and especially now, like you, you have to put yourself into the whenever it was made to, you know, look past the fact that, you know, projecting video on, th- I just saw that on Ace of Cakes, <laughs> projected video <laughs> on cake. Um, so to, to, to look at that as a fresh image at this point, I don't think it hold, holds up at all. But, but Zardoz invented projecting things on, on cakes. <laughs> like that's the whole point of this. Groundbreaking film. <laughs> um. But, uh, yeah, so they, I, I don't know. I, I didn't really get as much out of the imagery. Um, and it's the moments that do stand out. Like, I agree the ring thing is kind of cool, although the eye on the forehead and hand is a little direct. Um, but uh, just that stuff is so spread apart. Um, and it it just never is as goofy as... I would like it to be other than unless you are able to sustain laughing at Sean Connery's outfit the entire runtime. I mean, it, it just it more exists in a boring uh, zone than a goofy zone for me. And I think it's just because there's too much. Like I said, it's it's overcomplicating a recipe. It it, it reminds me of like if you watch a cooking show and they're going to make a pizza. And they start by curing the pepperoni. It's like, okay, skip the fucking pepperoni. I know, just get to the you know the main gist of things. It's like too many ideas, and it, it just it dullens the, the 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 entire experience for me. It, it just turns it into like a, an exhausting sort of you know. Okay, I got to keep track of all these. Like, why does there have to be four different groups of people? Like, why can't it be? the brutes or brutals and the eternals and you know keep it simple uh and it's, it's underworld man <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, it, it, beat, it beat Ace of Cakes to Cake Projection, and it beat Underworld to two groups of people, I guess. factions. But it's got a great callback as a act of cinema or whatever to the, I don't know if, what early film, silent film, where the character shoots directly at the camera. It's kind of a no-no. You almost never see films where a character will shoot essentially the audience, like point the camera right at the thing. And I, it is kind of in evidence, like great idea, great sort of image to throw right, it's right near the beginning of the film. But you'd think if this were a modern film, they would cut to title. They wouldn't have had all the title cards and everything. That would have been a, but in, in a way they just play that image and then they just boom, move on to the next thing or whatever. But um, I think I'm kind of fine with that. I think part of the problem too is not only is it too many ideas, but some of the ideas are I don't like. I think Jay said hippie wankery, and I well, like it's I, a it's, satire it's, of the hippie era. But like, there's it, stuff it's that I satire. There's stuff that like I get the overall concept of the film, but all these little ideas just aren't aren't put forth very well. Like the scene where he's in this little like plastic dome talking to the topless lady and there's like trees and then she backs out and then all of a sudden all the people are trying to break into the plastic and then he busts through kind of in slow motion with his hand and like I'm not quite sure what they were trying to get at in in scenes like that and there it's not just that one there's a few of them that are just kind of I don't it's performance art again and I hate that kind of stuff and I Maybe it's I'm just I'm not getting that or whatever, but Maybe. to me it just feels like you're just trying to be weird and have strange imagery just for the sake of being weird. I don't know. Well, I just wanted to bring up one thing that I, I do think is kind of interesting, which is the whole title of the movie coming from The Wizard of Oz, and I guess the idea that this guy, you know. Was was trying to find something to control a group of people. He chose a book. He chose the Wizard of Oz, which you know clearly is some sort of religious you know thing. Like you can just pick anything and any story, throw it at a bunch of people, and you know kind of get them to live or or worship that. And uh, I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, whenever I think of this movie, that's sort of the thing that. I was the only thing that really I remembered from watching it the first time. So yeah, I thought it was interesting just in the fact that Zardoz is in the title somewhere. <laughs> I didn't see really the the, um, the aside from you know stuff. the idea of a, a man hiding behind a, a you know a, a giant presence to control people. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, it was it was interesting when you see him cover the W, I, and the of, it's like, it's coming together. It all makes sense. And then it's like, a minute later, like, oh, no, it still doesn't make sense. Maybe that's why I remember it. It's the only moment in the movie where something that's, that's actually coherent. kind of made sense, yeah. yeah but, it was like the movie's own little kind of twist, where everybody in the audience goes, oh, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a, oh, okay, wait, wait. So, what? Sorry? I, I still don't get it. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, it, it just seems like um, it's another idea that's thrown in. It's like, 
another concept that is kind of uh, tossed on the junk heap. Yeah, I think, well, there's a lot of science fiction novels, um, like Ridley Walker and Canical for Leibowitz. There's a lot of things that take a fragment, like a, uh, an irrelevant fragment of popular culture, and then have it completely misunderstood. Um, but this movie actually takes it one step further in that he basically engineers it. Like, the, the guy absolutely completely engineers it. I think that adds a different sort of level to things. But the way I look at it is this, is that John Borman is a pretty damn macho director. I mean, he made Point Blank with Lee Marvin, and that was probably the film that really got him known as a world sort of cinema filmmaker. And I mean, that... Marvin's really badass in that movie. And it's it's an arty film. Like, it's it's got a weird audio structure. I'm... Like, films like The Limey and that are certainly owe a debt to, to that. And then Deliverance is totally like a manhood kind of movie and you almost get the sense that he watched Billy Jack like the super weird hippie experiment which was incredibly popular in the early 70s um, and and decided all that group circle hug bullshit he was going to write a savage satire and and I think that was the, like a starting point but again yeah, you, you roll too many ingredients in there and you actually lose the point of the movie. Satire in itself is a delicate thing because they almost always fail. People almost always don't get it when it comes out. Um, and then when you layer it in with this extra level of fantasy, science fiction, and, and you know, production design gone really wild, uh, it, it, just, it, it just makes it just too hard to swallow. But I, I have to admit... That's the principal reason why I love this movie because no one has really like people have a Dune is the only other example. Maybe that maybe Jodorowsky is, is is an interesting case, but usually when uh, people do something like this, it's it's a little more uh, winky or it's a bit it's more comedy or or, or or it's just a straight up blockbuster. Whereas this he is this movie takes itself so seriously like it 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 does not ever want to laugh um i mean even when the when the two women have him in the amphitheater and they're showing him uh, nude mud wrestling and they literally have a chalkboard mm-hmm. that shows an erection i mean none of that is played for comedy like not 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 in the sense of I think filmmaker intent. That would be my guess. Whereas well, it is kind of fun. I thought it is kind of a joke though when, you know, he finally turns to the chick that's been doing the teaching and, you know, then he gets an erection. Like to me that's punchline of the whole scene, right? And it is kind of funny, but I don't know, maybe not intentionally, I'm not sure. But it is interesting, like what you're saying about it being a hippie satire. Like I, I never got that. But now that I think about it, I mean it is he, he has a group of people on horseback running around shoot, shooting these people that are basically like hippies. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, something about that, it kind of makes me think, okay, maybe he's not 100% just buying into the hippie philosophy here. Like, he's kind of well, making fun of I it. I think that the generation above the hippies, some the the, you know, intellectual chunk of the generation above the hippies looked at the hippies and said... That ain't gonna work, and and there was this sort of like, okay, we're gonna let it play out, but at the same point, it's so not gonna work. And 
that was already in the process of well into the process of melting down by the time Zardoz came along. But yeah, given the the nature of film production and and whatnot, it's certainly um, you know it's no different than uh, Terry Gilliam's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is another movie that really I mean it literally examines the the meltdown of post hippie culture and the 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 big seventies hangover to the nineteen sixties you know love children or whatever I, and I think Zardoz imagines it as a like a fantasy parable and I think that's kind of awesome it just feels like there's too much <clears throat> outside of the actual film itself that has to be taken into consideration to, to draw any sort of interesting uh, discussion from it like you have to consider Borman's previous film. You have to consider his filmography, who he is, everything around it in order to... It's a classic example of the auteur theory, because in this case, I believe, even though he complains on the director's commentary that he always didn't have enough money and and, and yada yada yada, but he had no one stopping him. Like, I I mean, it's no different than what the Star Wars movies have become with, with no one stopping George Lucas from you know, doing so much what he wants to do, whereas the good Star Wars movies generally came out of a of a more collaborative process. I mean, if you let someone give them enough resources and and not enough like criticism or restraint, you end up with uh, you end up with something like that. It's the same reason of what happened with Southland Tales, and um, it's what happens. Usually, it's like a director's second film after they have a debut that's like startlingly popular but in this case um it was his time limitations if i if i I were to choose a john borman film that is truly as you guys would say off the rails uh, i would go with exorcist 2 the heretic and excalibur they're all all three of them are in a row and they're all nutty they're all like really self-indulgent i guess i don't know if self-indulgence is the right word they're just they just really do shoot for the moon. Like I, I haven't seen the Heretic in a long time, but I love Excalibur for the same reason why I love Zardoz because he just goes right to town. It's the same reason why I love David Lynch Dune. And I would say, on a positive note, just I don't know, maybe on a little more superficial level, Marina mentioned the the costume design in this. Um, I didn't really like the set design all that much, but I thought the costume design and the hair and makeup of this of Zardoz was fantastic. Uh, like, I don't know, it's kind of stuff I noticed. But like Charlotte Rampling had those those little curled up braids, like really small braids that curled under her ear, kind of. And then of course Sean Connery with a huge long braid and a big Burt Reynolds mustache. Um, but everybody had really cool hair. Note, uh, apparently, Burt Reynolds was supposed to play the lead in this. I saw that oh, really? on IMDb, and then they couldn't get him, so they got Sean Connery with a big-ass mustache. <laughs> and so I, I liked the... So whoever was on costume and hair and makeup... Like, um, the final scene, I really like the, the final scene of them just aging with their son, and it's just them sitting on a... It's, you know, it's... What do you call it? Um, it's not... Uh, it's in the head, isn't it? Aren't they back in the like the the head crashes right, at the right, end right. and they just go into the head? 
and it's like time lapse photography, like super time lapse. It just skips ahead like thirty year increments, and you see them just get old, 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 really, really old, and then finally skeletons, and then finally nothing. And I don't know. That was just a cool imagery, and there, there again with the makeup. Uh, the one guy who got sentenced to become old, where like half his face got old. Um, no explanation for that. Of no, course. there was Just... no explanation, but it looked cool. And mm-hmm. again, that was one of the ideas that you mentioned that I thought was a really great idea. It just didn't, uh, for some reason, it could have been explored a little bit more. The idea of instead of eight months in prison, you get eight months of aging. And this guy got clearly like, I can't remember what his sentence was, but it was like 30 years of aging or whatever. And it looked good. Like, whoever did the makeup on that, it was awesome. It looked like the half of his face kind of melted. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's, again, those are the kinds of things that you take away from the film. Like, you know, the costumes are pretty out there, but you remember that imagery. And I don't Shock. know, I, I guess that's kind of the, like, I don't Does anybody know how this was received when it came out? Like, I'm guessing it didn't do well, but... It was a disaster. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I don't know. I just I was trying to figure out in my head if you know because there have been some pretty crazy films that came out you know out of the sixties and seventies that were successful and I think I don't know uh, clearly yeah. it's, Sean Connery might be a draw you would think. Yeah, like, but I, apparently, I mean, I think he uh, had a lot of trouble getting any sort of roles after. James Bond, and I think he was pretty much ready to accept anything when he took this role. Oh, if you read some interviews with Connery, he was stoked. Like, yeah, I read that too. on the screenplay again on paper, got a lot of people interested. And again, you, you you've got from the from the director of Point Break and Deliverance, and and he's got this super ambitious script, and people loved it. I mean, he he got a an interesting caliber of actor. In the movie, um, was Rampling anything at the time? Oh yeah, like she yeah. was very famous for that, um, the Night Porter, the 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 movie that single handedly started the Nazi Nazi fetishism subgenre. Hmm. There's a Criterion disc of it. It's a very good film. Or in Dirk Bogart, and she's like seventeen or eighteen in it. Um, right. Yeah, so everyone. In the movie, um, was you know reasonably well known. Uh, also, a trivia point on the movie is the the head, the exterminators' heads, uh, were modeled after um, John Borman's head. <laughs> so the exterminators were modeled after the director's head. And that final scene that you mentioned, I read somewhere that. Uh, when they shot all that time lapsed, and they had all the different stages of makeup, they did it over, uh, um, you know, a couple days, but they exposed it onto the same, like in camera on real film. Uh, that the guy ejecting the cartridge fucked it up, and they had to do the whole thing twice, and it was not a simple thing to do in camera. I don't know how often that happened, or happens, but um, it, it just seemed appropriate for this movie to have that particular sequence, which is probably the film's most complicated sequence, have to be done twice. Yeah. Maybe I was underwhelmed because I just watched Lindsay Anderson's If, and it seems like that movie is kind of the 
um, fiction ver- version versus science fiction fantasy. It's like the uh, boys public school in England version of Zardoz with like the scum and the whips and the different the hierarchy within the school and the, the, the like counterculture re- revolutionary aspects of the film and I just watched it and then I watched Zardoz and it um, just kind of made it uh, maybe it made it seem like oh this, this same idea was handled so, so gracefully and if have you seen Oh Lucky Man because if is part one of a trilogy so Oh Lucky Man is definitely getting into the what the fuck did I just watch territory yeah. as as well, Zardoz yeah there is like the feral tiger yeah, yeah. bits and inexplicable changes from color to black and white yeah. and back again alright so should we do kind of a final thoughts if you want to do a star rating kind of around the table on Zardoz before we move on uh, you can, Marina. You can start. I don't really have much to add. Um, it, I have a bit of a soft spot for it, but uh, it does have a series of problems, and I think I'm okay watching it every like 15 years. And it's a 15 year movie. <laughs> I don't know. I just I don't I don't actually feel like I ever need to see it again. I had this menta- I had this idea of what I remembered from it when I'd first seen it. And it was like one of these first movies that kind of I went, oh, look, there's some weird stuff out there on film. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. I think it has some really great ideas. I wish they were explored a little bit further. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see. Well, maybe not. I don't really want to remake. But I don't know. I, I, w- I would be happy if it had been handled better. But it's not one that I can say gung-ho recommend. But it's definitely um, an experience. And I think everybody needs to see it at least once. Or at least part of it. At least once. Someone on the internet tried to make a case that the Book of Eli was a remake of Zardoz, to which I, I cried absolutely fucking foul. <laughs> I no. agree. I, I thought that was a joke. I laughed when I read that article. I mean, and the, the, the correlations are just so far-fetched, they don't even work. I'm sure it was a joke. I, I saw that story too. I'll link to that in the show notes for this episode. It was a joke, right? I don't think. I so. think it was serious. <laughs> oh, I, good it's God. the best written onion article ever. If if it, it, <laughs> I, I I think it was serious, but I, I think it it doesn't actually have a leg to stand on. It would be better if it was a joke because it is kind of a joke, even if it was intended or not. <laughs> I think it was kind of tongue in cheek, but. I think they were trying to make some serious points in it. I haven't seen the Book of Eli, so I can't say. Um, I mean, the the connection... I didn't read the whole thing, but I I don't see too many uh, unusually far-fetched connections being drawn there that I haven't heard millions of times before with, like, you know, on our show, on your show, uh, on this show... You know, every episode we managed to link, you know, Freddy got fingered with whatever that was with. <laughs> can you remember at this point? With eight and a half. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I can I can see how uh, someone could draw those two together. Yeah, I guess uh, for me, as far as Zardoz goes, you know, I think I found the DVD in a bargain bin for about three bucks once upon a time. It's worth three bucks. 
it's worth a buy for three bucks. Take it home, you know. Feel like you've watched some strange piece of cinematic history that you know probably shouldn't exist, but does. And um, you know, I, I still, you know, I, I think clearly it's become known as a a bad movie that's so bad it's good. And I don't know that it's actually a good film. I I, I wouldn't go that far, but I do kind of have some affinity for it even if uh, it it gets to be a bit of a a slog by the end Um, Uh, go ahead uh, I mean mean, I'm happy I saw it I suppose but I mean just the the thing it's most guilty of for me is just being boring I mean uh, there's some interesting visuals and yeah there's some funny stuff in there Sean Connery looks funny and um and nobody mentioned the the line you know the the gun is good the penis is evil or whatever like they throw that at you within the first couple minutes oh I, I I stand by that that I mean whether the movie delivers or not no one doubts the like the the sheer awesomeness of that opening sequence <laughs> Yeah, but I, I agree the opening sequence is cool, but it just never gets back to anything as interesting or cool. Um, and it it wouldn't be as, as um, noticeable if they didn't try to throw so many more interesting ideas and they all, none of them stick. Like, mm-hmm. um, if it didn't try so hard to impress you... Um, you wouldn't be as as uh, sensitive to its faults, I think. Um, so, and and the so bad it's good thing. I mean, there, I think there are some movies that can exist on that description, and and um, you know, like whatever Troll Two or whatever or The Room, or but um, they always have to have something there that for me was missing with Zardoz, I guess. I, I just never found it funny or um, interesting enough to... But, I, I, you know, I don't absolutely hate it, but... Yeah, and I agree. That's exact. If everything Jay just said, that's pretty much how I, how I feel about the film, too. Well, for me, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's my eighth or ninth time watching the movie <laughs> wow. for this show. I... I I, wow, I really? like the movie. I I like it a lot. I have you ever had a Zardoz themed party? No, but it, man, it 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 would in theory be a pretty good pretty party. Sweet, like, yeah. there's no shortage of costume ideas <laughs> exactly. in Zardoz. Like, Can you could invite sixty the... people, and there would still be characters available. Um, Jay and I'll show up as the apathetic people. but for me the experience is is to just soak in a particular type of production that lost its way and and i'm I'm not watching it in like a a shade and frowd kind of way i'm not watching it in a i have to laugh because it's it's bad i i honest to goodness like the collection of images even if i don't read it as a like i can you can you can wank off to this movie in terms of all of its sort of like connecting ideas and you can write endless again like i said earlier i don't advocate anyone doing that i don't believe the movie deserves that um but you can do it um but that's not the reason why i watch the movie i i i legitimately like i mean what is movies but 
connecting images one after another and and you know if you're if you're Spielberg you connect it so that this is in relation to that and and you can tell oh that that bomb is ticking and this is coming there and you know you get this perfect flow of story and then in this movie you just get something new every five seconds and I, I see how you guys can see think that that's a bad thing but I look at it as just a just a marvelous collection of delights it's a it's a candy dish and every time I, I you reach in you get something different bad thing but I just don't agree that it is something new every five minutes I, I, I just feel like it's a slog you know like it, it's I'm not willing to say it's good just because it doesn't do what Spielberg does um, just because it zigs instead of zagging, like that's not enough for me to be impressed by it. Um, if it maintained that first five minutes, like the spitting out of the guns, I agree with the first. That first opening is pretty awesome, but uh, it just ends up. It reminded me of Star Trek Insurrection. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, is that the one with Tom Hardy in it? It's the one. With, no, it's the one. Um, that nobody remembers. It's yeah. the one where the, the planet with the aging people, where they stretch their faces, and uh, I don't even remember what the main story is because it's so dull. But it's like this society of young people or something, and then the bad guys are these people who want to forever be young, and they have they have uh, face pulls every. Do you well, remember? Speaking uh, of face pull, though. Wouldn't Brazil is a somewhat of an analog to this movie? Uh, Terry but at Gilliam's least Brazil. Brazil, Brazil makes sense. Yeah, and Brazil, the imagery in Brazil is is up here. Zardoz is fairly down here. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it reminds I me. Mean, it reminds me of Star Trek Insurrection. It, it's like a Reed would love it. I well, I don't know. Maybe he said he offered to lend it to me so he owns it but <laughs> probably just for the nudity probably <laughs> yeah so. okay so I think uh, we can move on here to the second film and this is Mike Hodges 1980 Flash Gordon uh, now I'm curious who picked this film because it sure as hell wasn't me so I want to know too yeah I can't remember Bet you it was Gamble. I bet it was too. I know I Gamble's not here, but I talked to him last night, and he he said he knows it's a bad movie, but he likes it. That's all I can say for Matt Gamble. So, um, I guess you know I I can give a brief premise, sort of. Um, I just watched it today while I was at work, and luckily I've already blocked most of it out of my mind, but. <laughs> Basically, well, first of all, I want to say I thought Flash. I think I'm confusing Flash Gordon with the Flash. Like I thought this was like a superhero comic booky type of. It is character. Well, kinda. Except for he's all he is is the quarterback of the New York Jets. He doesn't have any superpowers or anything other than he's built, I guess. Um, at least in this movie, and essentially. Um, He's in. Uh, there's an alien force outside of our universe, or whatever, that attacks Earth, and he gets abducted from the crazy scientists on Earth, and they hop in a rocket ship and go to this this other universe and end up 
sort of getting into this plot to stop the evil Max von Sydow from destroying the Earth, and um, shenanigans and adventure ensue. And um, I, so I, that's I'm, what that was about. I, I, I guess I, I'm curious. First of all, just right off the bat. For me, this was a first-time watch. Does anybody here, like, is this like a nostalgia thing for them, or is this also first-time watches for everybody? First-time watch for me. Um, and I I have to say, I was a little bit... I wasn't really looking forward to it, um, but I actually had a pretty good time with it. Uh, I watched it on Blu-ray, and it, it looks pretty awesome on Blu-ray, I think. Like, the colors are just so vibrant. And... Uh, the funny thing is, it really reminded me uh, at times of the 60s Batman movie, uh, Batman the movie, which, uh, strangely enough, I guess the same screenwriter wrote the script for this. So I don't know if that necessarily is where it came from, uh, but I just, yeah, I, I kind of, they're both very campy, uh, and I enjoyed it, although I did find, again, by the end, I was growing a little bit tired of it. But just from a visual standpoint, I thought it was pretty awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, not uh, not horrible, at least in my opinion. Uh, I've seen it before, um, but I, I didn't watch it when I was a kid. I saw it uh, later in life, um, As within the last adult. five years. And I I like the film. Um, to me, it's I I didn't know it was written by the same guy who wrote Batman, but I mean it makes sense to me. And I think it's quite obvious watching the movie that they're going for something campy and and over the top. And um, just from the, the the choice of who played Flash Gordon, I don't know if they dubbed his voice. It, it seems like his voice is. Off from. I thought I had heard that actually. I'm not sure now, but that sounds familiar. It looked like that they they grabbed the most buff, attractive well, sort of guy. He and was then... chosen out of Playgirl magazine. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, you're telling me I can find new. <laughs> you can stuff. find Sam Jones or whatever the guy's name is. Um, but I, but apparently he wasn't entirely chosen from Playgirl magazine. Apparently, Dino the was D, Dino De Laurenti, or De however, you, however you pronounce his name, uh, the Italian producer of this movie, who also produced Conan. Barbarella, Conan, Danger Diabolic, Army of Darkness, and David Lynch's Dune. Um, so, no stranger to this type of insane production design. Um, apparently, his mother saw him on a game show, and recommended him for the production and that's the way Dino Dino rolls <laughs> this 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 is and and I'm I I've got a first source for this if you watch I don't know if the blu-ray has on it but the is yours the blu-ray with the Alex Ross cover uh it's the same the, okay so um the there's a special feature on there where the the screenwriter, what's his name, Semple Junior. Lorenzo, something. Um, That's why I recognize that name. Yeah. That's a very recognizable name. Yeah. So he uh, he tells that story on the like one of the special features, um, and he also says he was picked because 
he wrote because the Batman TV show. On a game show. No, because he he wrote a lot of other um, uh, other films for. Uh, he wrote Bond films. He's he's written he's written a lot. I mean, everyone in this production went in with the intention of making it like the Batman TV show. Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt. Um, although there's doubts in popular culture, there's no doubt from the creator's point of view that this was written. Same with the Batman show, though. Like a lot of people, I think now it's pretty accepted what the Batman TV show was trying to do. But there was a point where it was just like, you know, who who likes the original Batman? You know, it's stupid. It's it's a joke, and you know, not not realizing that it back then was even it was intended to be right. campy and. But I mean, back to the actor. He it seems like they got a voice that you would imagine being the the voice of Superman in the Max Fleischer cartoons or something. That's sort of like, and the movie makes me. It reminds me of it's like a musical without musical numbers. Well, it does. Uh, Queen, it does Queen. Fill, Queen fills that in, but it's like Rocky Horror Picture Show or Phantom of the Paradise, like. The, t- the two main characters are like Janet and Mike, Janet and whoever the names of the, the two leads in Rocky Horror Picture Show, where they go into this wild world, and any minute you would expect Ma- Max von Sydow to, to break into a Time Warp-style musical number. Instead, he is kind get, of a sweet transvestite in this Yeah, movie. yeah. <laughs> and uh, instead you get Queen doing... Uh, some music. Well, but... the guy who wrote the Rocky Horror Picture Show was in this movie, so oh, really? maybe this resulted in the creation. No, because he... it would have been after Richard O'Brien is he's the, the gold one of the merry. No, he's one of the merry men. He's oh. one of the okay. like the guy that they put in the the cage, right? Right. And, like with the stupid plot, yeah. like everything about this movie is okay. Backing up a little bit, this is probably the fifth time maybe I shouldn't be admitting these things uh, but this is probably the fifth time I saw it I saw it theatrically when I was a this kid is the first time with your clothes on <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um, yeah there was a special nude screening in 1981 or whatever whenever it came to Oshawa when I was growing up um, it's great in the burbs uh, but yeah I, I I have kind of I don't know if I have fond like I have really fond memories of, of seeing like Empire Strikes Back and uh, Temple of Doom and 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 Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know. I, I I know when I was like six years old, I had no way of possibly processing this as camp. I I probably thought it was awesome. In the same way, I th- I thought Clash of the Titans was awesome um, when I saw it. They were all compacted into that one kind of eighty eighty one zone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's either appeared on TV late at night, city TV, or uh, I don't think I ever owned it on VHS, but when they released the DVD in 2007, and then maybe January, um, Edgar Wright was in town, and he has this traveling sort of program, and he presented it at the... So I got to see a print of it in big widescreen or whatever. And I... Everything, like you said, Sean, everything about this movie is kind of wrong, and like the special effects are really bad, and and everything is kind of overdone but it it just makes the movie better it, it, the movie like everything about it, I love this movie I love it from top to bottom I, I there's nothing at all in this movie that I dislike I love hot hail I love pillow fights <laughs> for no reason in I like the middle that of the movie because it it make when you watch it first off you know they use for these futuristic consoles they use what looks like TV switching boards 
and it's it plays almost more like because all the buttons are labeled like hurricane tornado it plays almost like those are just buttons to stock footage that they're watching on tv <laughs> rather than actually which it is con- yeah, yeah rather than the, the characters actually like the consequences happening on earth it's like let's look at the hurricane footage <laughs> i just think it's hilarious though like the the, the number of like you say zardoz like it doesn't internally always make sense but this movie like clearly no one was criticizing them making this movie they just said oh you want to make it goofy be as goofy as you want we're cool with that do whatever you want. because the opening scene is it's a minor little planet in the solar system called earth and then when he's got his buttons of calamity one of them is earthquake (laughs) 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 that lack of attention to detail is pretty staggering it's within two minutes like those scenes are within two minutes and i love in this movie how characters just casually toss out hi flash it's glad to see you again and we've got four minutes to save the Earth. Like, it, they just, it has this sort of really charming abruptness to, yeah, we're going to show you images, we're going to show you all this, and we can't make it work as a plot, so we will just tell it to you. I mean, in most movies, that's a crime. In this movie, for some reason, it's a strength, because I laugh at it, but it's designed to be laughed yeah. at. It, you, the movie is unabashedly designed to be fun. There is and, no uh, argument, I, I think don't think that can be made that Flash Gordon was not designed to be comedic and campy. Yeah, and I think it's almost the exact opposite of Zardoz in a lot of ways. Like, Zardoz takes himself so seriously. Um, You know, it's trying to be, like, I assume it's trying to be very deep with all these messages and things going on, and Flash Gordon is the exact opposite. It's just so shallow, but so just, like, popcorn movie and... uh, that's, you know, I mean, I think that's why it's still sort of a cult classic that people, you know, love. Well, there's a spe- special brand of amazingness to watch James Bond and <laughs> James Bond, Julius Caesar, the White Knight from the Bergman films, and the, the Fiddler the on the Roof the all the fight. <laughs> and the Playgirl guy all fight. Like, that is just how do you get that group of people together? Like they, you know, a lot of the actors in this movie had very respectable careers. And Mike Hodges is the guy who did the original get Carter. I mean, that is about as nasty gritty. I, 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 to this day have no idea why he signed on to do this movie. Like it's so far out of every other film in his career. There's, there's nothing. I mean, I guess it was just a paycheck. I I don't think there was a lot of directorial care put into this movie, but it, it cracks me up that the guy. Yeah, he like I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead, and and I mean croupier, and and I mean he's got a wonderful resume, and then Flash Gordon, <laughs> and morons from outer space. I mean, the movie plays like. Uh, it's very Italian, and it plays like uh, an Italian or spaghetti western compared to a, a Ford film. Play this Flash Gordon plays compared to Star Wars. Like it's just that sort of uh, weird twist on science fiction that you know uh, someone like Dino De Laurentiis would kind of 
when he was with his mom, <laughs> when he was with his mom watching the $25,000 pyramid, he's like, I want to make a Star Wars movie, and I want that guy in it. And the fiddler on the roof. I wanted to have pyramids. <laughs> Guys? Marina, have we heard from you yet? I don't know. I don't really have anything to say other than this is the greatest soundtrack in history. <laughs> I couldn't it is, believe eh? it. I couldn't believe it. I'm still getting married to that wedding march. I'm not even joking. <laughs> did, Queen really do, my house. did Queen do the wedding, like the, the wedding march oh, yeah, in the they film? They did. Oh, yeah. yeah they, they did everything. Which they did I, everything. I, no, they didn't do everything because there's a credit for a composer for the orchestral score. There's really? that actual score? Songs Cuz I thought it was just the doon 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 doon. doon. <laughs> like, just hang that there That's for like the 5 minutes. We almost just did that. <laughs> I mean, but What's there that? is a secondary credit for okay, score. Okay, that makes a little more sense. But I, like I was actually like I I was familiar with obviously the theme song. I was a little bit like at least for the first half of the movie kind of like let down. I was like, "Man, where is this amazing rock music you know like and it's it's in there a little bit but then towards the end it really kicks in which is awesome but yeah i think without that music this would be you know wouldn't be half as enjoyable i don't think well i always on the row three cinecast talk about opening credit sequences and how they're important to a movie if there's a textbook fucking case in this movie that sort of comic book merged with vector graphics opening is amazing mm-hmm. like it is it's probably the best design like the costumes are awesome the costumes are really good but the actual set design and the um uh and and the overall like matting effects and that are kind of dodgy and like the modeling work is dodgy and it's it's all kind of a cheap european stab at George Lucas or whatever the big Hollywood stuff was at the time, but that opening credit sequence is just flat out perfect. It really, really, really works with the music. And, and yeah, although there is one thing that bugs me about it is they take the comic book image. I, I just hate it when this happens in films and they squeeze it down to fit the aspect ratio rather than just crop displaying. It. Yeah, rather than yeah, cropping. I was it. wondering about that. I thought that at first I was watching my TV had the wrong. No, it's ratio. just that they're they're like squeezing it to fit the. But that's a little nitpick. But I mean the the effects, yeah, the the effects are dodgy. But it's like it's especially now. You, you would think in, in now with the effects how they are that that would completely lose any appeal, and it would be like okay, I can't even look at something like that anymore. But I mean. You, you can see the artistry in the film, whether or not it's it's um, 100% technically proficient, it, it is beside the point. It's almost like, you know, um, all the great musicians that might not have the best singing voices, but they've got character in their voice, and they're, they're remembered for that. Um, like, Bob Dylan might not have Pavarotti's range and... and uh, the technical skills, but he's got a voice that's memorable. And I think a lot of these films, uh, the effects are rough around the edges, but they're they're memorable because they're they're on screen examples of of um, craftsmanship, where you don't have to kind of make assumptions how things were done or put yourself in the mind of a, a 
computer um, technician, you know, or an animator or whatever to try and figure out what actually went into that. You know what went into these effects. You know there's a lot of uh, model work and injecting paint and condensed milk into water and uh, the costuming and everything. It's it's Well, it's the same way with Ray Harryhausen and Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Their films never felt real when they were brand new, and mm-hmm. so they don't age in that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the closest comparison for me, it, it's like Rocky Horror Picture Show meets Star Wars. Andrew? I think this movie is a piece of shit from start to finish. I I I'm I guess I'm not surprised that it's by the Batman, the writer who did Batman the movie. But for me, like Batman the movie is legitimately really funny. Like I sit down and enjoy that movie for its comedy. I laugh out loud when I see that film. This movie, uh, most I was just annoyed at how stupid it was and unfunny it was and how bad it looked. And how messy it was, and how many too many characters. Um, I I was pretty much. I don't know if I would go so far as to say I was bored, but I'll never watch this movie again. I can't believe that anybody sat and watched this eight times. Um, <laughs> honestly, I and I, I you know I, that's fine if if you watched it and and found humor in it and you know laughed at a few things and and found some of the dialogue witty and intentionally campy. That's Good, good on you for it, but mostly I just found it stupid. And I was, I kept thinking, you know, if I'm, if I was seven again and, and saw this when I was seven, I pr- maybe would have thought that it was kind of cool and interesting. Seeing it now, I was just kind of pissed off that I had to sit through it. To be honest, it was even it, it Brian was that Blessed. Bad. That who, who, he's, he's the, the 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 head of the the Hawkman. Yes, uh, yeah, he's the one sort of br- like even Timothy Dalton was brutal to watch I the set design was terrible I don't agree with the costuming I think the costuming was awful I mean and if I felt like they were sort of going well pre pre big trouble in little china vibe almost like and it just doesn't work the I felt like every little line of dialogue that what's his name Sam Jones that was supposed to be funny was just not <laughs> well because it's funny because it's not funny. I, I guess, yeah, fair enough. I, and I, where I, where laugh, I look at I it and I go, when I watch the movie, either um, I just, I, I just, uh, I guess, have fun with it. I mean, I just watch it like you would watch, um, I don't know, like the a, a or yeah, or or like a old sitcom like Laverne and Shirley or something. I. I won't be laughing along with Laverne and Shirley, but I'll be happy to visit a, an era where it just feels more, um, uh, I guess, um, naive or, or earnest or, or uh, it you know, felt like like, to- like Flash Gordon to me in this feels like Clark Kent and and Superman. Um, just it, everything feels very. It, uh, overly stated and how or again like Rocky Horror Picture Show with the, the two main characters how they're buttoned down and then they're thrown into this sexual world and it's the same in Flash Gordon like she is this buttoned down uh, person and then suddenly she's like in this scantily clad outfit and Flash Gordon has this woman 
making out with him as he's mind melding with the girl he's trying to save and um that that scene i found funny actually mm -hmm. that like that one definitely stood out as being actually funny for a movie aimed i i agree the movie is clearly aimed at seven-year-olds like i think that would be the best age to i have to get my kids to watch this movie um but there's a shocking like, amount of sexual innuendo yeah, yeah. in a movie yeah, aimed at that age group that. that whole fly in the ship um What's thing and again there's a lot of whipping there's a lot of chains and a lot of sort of effeminate boredom and you know like just these sort of things that you associate um i'm pretty sure that uh Dino uh, produced Caligula like within a year of this movie. It kind of reminded yeah. me of like an old 80s Doctor Who episode. See, I watched those. I used to love those when I was a kid and I watch them now and they're trying for humor in certain places and, and the, like the production value even was sort of the same. And I even go back to watching those episodes that I used to love and I look at them now and I go, this is shit. Some of the themes are alright, but this this movie doesn't even have those themes. It's just trying to be a fun sort of comic booky movie and to me it it wasn't. I I I don't know. I can't I can't really say much more other than like no, the fucking no snake joy in the, the delightful inanity of the football sequence no, in the middle I, of I the saw it in, court. No, I saw it and like I kind of got what they were going for there. That was supposed that was kind of a Batman-y Thing, but I don't know. It just it didn't work for me. Or the the snake people that would show up. They were like in the cages. It was just a couple of guys in like mascot snake suits. Um, I looked at it and went, "Fucking really? You put that in there?" <laughs> um, didn't weren't you like seriously like? Didn't you feel the suspense when they were putting their arms in the thing <laughs> and waiting to see if they got bit? Yeah. Well, I love that they totally. have to insert a bit of expositional dialogue <laughs> when he jumps up and, you know, like when he, he does his little ploy and he's like, ah, oh, you know, kill me, uh, put me out of my misery. He goes, fooled you there? <laughs> like they have to actually okay. I'll say explain this. that turnaround to the audience with a bit of dialogue. The, the dialogue, that was the other thing. Um, several times throughout the movie there would be two characters having a bitter dispute about what course of action they should take next we gotta do it this way because if we don't the earth will explode in five minutes no 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 we have to do it this way and then on a, on a dime one of them will just go okay yeah you're right see ya and they just do what the I don't, I don't know how to explain it it was just so abrupt and retarded um, the dialogue never worked for me well, I, I will say the one it's like a comic book from the 30s, right? So I wonder if they're just pulling that style. I've never read the books. Well, I think but... they're pulling from this the serials. Yeah. Like the ship, the, the image of the ship flying where it almost looks like it's on strings, I, I think is like a direct reference to the serials. Like it looks better than that, but I mean, I would, I would assume even with the effects, they're not going too out of their way to clean them up or make them look real. Um, I'm not sure. But I mean, you, I, I don't know, you just have to, I guess you have to be in that mindset. Like, sometimes people will watch some things, if it has too much gold and red in it, it's like, too much of a, <laughs> a mind block. Well, seeing this maybe eight months ago in the theater, with a fairly large audience, 
um, it played awesome. Like it was a great theatrical experience. Now, given if people are going to come out and drive or subway to the theater and drop eight nine bucks to see this movie, they probably like it. Especially but, when Edgar Wright is telling them this movie's awesome, <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people then go in thinking if Edgar likes it. I liked it. Yeah, but and, I mean, and that's I, actually a valid way to find things. I mean, yeah. if um, it just—I remember, like the audience was, you know, like everyone's above it, but you still can't help but kind of be on board with it. You, there's just a way to to get into the zone of this movie. Like, if it was only partly stupid, it might, you know, you might see the line, but it just goes so far. It just is so far in every possible thing. Like the two leads having no chemistry. The every time she opens her mouth, she's hilarious. Uh, I, I I love the fact that they're that they're on like a commuter flight, and then they're on a rocket ship, and then they're in the society, and then she's dropping kung fu moves and shooting laser guns, and then <laughs> it just the movie. I'll give it this. It even more than a Steven Summers movie, it does not slow down. Like, there's something happening. The movie, I, to me, it's never boring. It, it, it's, there's always something going on. Well, I mean, you, you look at something like Star Wars, and if you're not on board with that, you could go through and totally pull apart everything in that movie. I mean, as, as much retarded dialogue there is in Flash Gordon, there is in Star Wars... But at least in Flash Gordon, it's designed to be goofy. I mean, um, I, I love Star Wars. It's, I like both. I like Star Wars more than I like Flash Gordon. But um, I, I just so. think that you know you can with these movies. They're they're already at, at a disadvantage if you're analyzing their their scripts on a script 101 basis, um, looking for holes because they're they're both films are designed. Um, to 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 play in this this tone that's built out of these ridiculous serials and and comic books. I mean, obviously George Lucas uh, is the Star Wars was was directly influenced by Flash Gordon. I mean, he has a Flash Gordon clip at the beginning of THX eleven thirty eight, which is weird because it you'd think it'd make more sense of the yeah, end of right. Star Wars, but. Um, so I, I think that, I mean, even with George Lucas, a lot of the uh, performances and dialogue that people might criticize, it's like, well, he's, 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 his universe is set in a, a place that is inspired by these serials he watched growing up. And if you're not on board with that, then yeah, it probably won't work. In the early 1980s, you actually had almost two diverging types of fantasy blockbuster you had the Lucas Spielberg stuff which was having fun with it but playing it fairly grounded and somehow making all of this stuff work at a, a reasonably believable level and then you had the Clash of the Titans Flash Gordons that just went as far as possible and like let's get Laurence Olivier and let's let's do this and and they're not even trying to be real they're, they're being absolutely in the side I think Zardoz falls into that too is being pure fantasy like it's an absolute it has no grounding or basis whatsoever in 
your reality. You're just completely in this otherly world. And I think Star Wars, with its sort of vaguely British military or whatever, it's easier to, to, to say that that's grounded, believe it or not, than than this. And I, I think the, the screenwriter um, comments on that, that they, the movie was made because of Star Wars, but it was made with the complete opposite sensibility. I think also the thing that um, Flash Gordon and Clash of the Titans, and I'd throw in the original Battlestar Galactica series, uh, have going against them is that they're very of the era. Like, they're not hiding the, the, the 70s and 80s style influences and music influences. Like, Queen alone for a lot of people, I think would be a deal breaker. Like having an all Queen soundtrack, um, especially one that's as um, bombastic as that one uh, in a science fiction film. Because like, it's I a think, fantasy film. It's not. A, it's not right, a right. And if sorry, we, we can have this discussion <laughs> if you like. <laughs> in a fantasy film that would be filed in the science fiction section of the video <laughs> store, um, is is a uh, you know it's kind of going against like an orchestral uh, John Williams approach that's more classic classical and and, uh, austere yeah it's it's more uh, flamboyant I guess the costumes everything same with Battlestar it's like you look at the original Battlestar and the Cylons have those big uh, lens flares on them and everything is disco and you know the weird aliens with the afros and the three faces and it's like it's not hiding its era at all and I think that can be alienating watching that stuff now it's easier to look past just the haircuts in Star Wars or the slightly dated effects or the plastic costumes but with something like Flash Gordon there's so much more to work past that and it just seems kitschy I think it blows my mind that the production designer of this movie is the same guy who did all the early Rossellini, Fellini. He did Sallow. Really? <laughs> you know, and this is and all the way up to this movie. It just kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind well, of. It is like I said, it's very Italian. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like I kind of uh, like kind of getting back to what Andrew was saying. I kind of see his point in the sense that as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, you know, if a movie came out now that was like this, you know, didn't obviously have all the, uh, the, the things that date it, but was just like this, I would probably be criticizing it and saying, you know, this is exactly what's wrong with blockbusters. It's so shallow and dumb and all this stuff. But, you know, I, I can't help but be sort of won over by the the way that this movie looks and and all those you know elements of the time that you know it, it's just a movie that I think has actually aged very well to the point where that that actually kind of pulls you in at least it does for me so I'm almost kind of disagreeing with your statement about it alienating people I think you know yeah there's certain people I'm talking about, I'm not alienate. talking I'm talking about the the aesthetics of it like the the costuming and it's gaudy. It's very right. gaudy. And, and the uh, music is very dated. Right. And what I'm saying is that that's the kind of stuff that actually pulled me in. And maybe well, that's I'm what just... pulls me in as well. I'm just saying, I think, in trying to put myself in the mind of someone who 
is turned off of the movie, I think those are things that right. could turn someone off of it. But I think in terms of Andrew's criticism, I think it is mainly that sort of just that it's dumb, not particularly well written. And, you know, if you're not sort of laughing along with it or playing along with it, you're just kind of looking at it as like a big, dumb, dumb blockbuster, which I assume it was at the time. Um, yeah. And I, I would say that, again, the Star Wars, uh, you could throw a lot of the same criticisms at. Right. Um, I would say Mark Hamill in Star Wars is, at times, almost as bad as Sam Jones. Sam Jones. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, the 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 story is is I think a little better and more interesting. There's more interesting characters, but I just I don't hold it up to Star Wars. I it, I just think it's a fun, goofy, interesting looking movie, and it combines interesting images with the music and everything in a way that really does it for me. There's no hot hail in Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> Missed opportunity total. <laughs> no, but I mean, again, uh, having said that, it's not something that I don't think I... You know, if someone says they don't like Flash Gordon and I'm not, like, dumbfounded. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. Now, do you guys think that Timothy Dalton was cast in The Rocketeer? based on this performance? It's funny, because I just watched The Rocketeer, and he's got the exact same mustache, <laughs> and the movies are ten years apart, so um, he's playing, but he's he's evil in Rocketeer, and he's good in this movie. Well, um, he is, but I mean, he kind of is against Flash for a lot of the movie, right? Like... I wonder how he got cast as James Bond after this movie. I would have figured that would be like a, he's got it's like a politician. He's got some serious skeletons in his closet. This guy can't be Bond. <laughs> he has a whip fight in the middle of the movie. Um, he that is some yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I certainly think that the performance. If you took out the Nazi factor and in, in the other one, they're pretty much the same character. I must admit, I I think. I like Dalton more when he's really funny, like in Hot Fuzz, or or I, I here he's like the straightest of the straight men. I, I much prefer Brian Blessed. Anytime Brian Blessed is on screen, Flash Gordon is is better. It's probably safe to say he got cast in the Hot Fuzz because of Flash Gordon. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of um, Flash Gordon sound effects used in Scott Pilgrim. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'm just. I, I mean, I'm a little surprised uh, watching this as well. That whenever discussions come up about you know comic book movies and like the best comic book movies, you know, particularly older comic book movies, this one never seems to come up. And I mean, I know it's not technically a superhero film uh, uh, as compared to what Andrew thought it would be, but I mean, it is. Very colorful, uh, and you know, with clearly with the uh, using the actual comic book, you know, uh, panels at the beginning, like it's trying to be comic booky. I don't know. It just seems like it's something that should be in the discussion a little more. After Superman, superhero movies had to be majestical and serious, or dark and and gritty. And and I mean, it's clearly in the old Batman cartoon era. 
I, I think Burton managed to find the exact right middle with the first Batman movie that it's kind of funny but it's also kind of dark and mean and he found that middle ground but I, I think it doesn't come up because people won't consider a movie that's silly as a good like you know it has to be because again the like the fans of the comic books tend to revere the stuff or or, or say you know you can't do that or you can, or whatever you can't have a funny take on things whereas right. I don't know I've never read the the Flash Gordon books but do you guys know or like do you think that Flash Gordon fans were not uh, pleased with this movie because it does seem like it kind of steps a little bit away from uh, I guess maybe what the traditional like what the serials and stuff were were like or just just maybe that it's so excessive that it's I don't know I'm kind of uh, I have no idea I just almost I feel maybe the movie would be um, uh, more warmly accepted if it was under like Roger Corman's name or something instead of uh, I, I mean Dino De Laurentiis did some schlocky stuff but I enjoy this in the same way that I enjoy like Battle Beyond the Stars like all the uh, sci-fi knockoffs Corman produced in the same time period um, so I wonder if it being associated with Universal studio pictures fact that um, it was a big studio What's that? The fact that it was a big studio. Yeah. Because they threw, like, clearly there's money on screen. Mm. Yeah. If this was a, a low-budget Corman film, it would be, like, more obvious that you're supposed to have fun with it in a, a lighthearted way than this trying to be a big-budget competitor against Star Wars and just missing the mark. I mean, I guess that's part of the problem, too, is a lot of those sci-fi movies from that era just immediately kind of got written off as Star Wars knockoffs when, you know... I mean, they were, but they still have their own kind of thing going on, at least some of them. And Crawl. Yeah. This also... Someone brought up the Zardoz costume party. You you could have a damn good Flash Gordon costume party. That's mm-hmm. true. Like just that courtroom, like the the wedding at the end and the court scene at the beginning. It's a fun movie when you have it restored into scope to just look at what's going on in the background. Like they got the the white and black fur coat people, and they you've got uh, the 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 Ming's daughter comes in like walking a human like a pet, and there's just. <laughs> And the, like Andrew said, the bargain basement lizard men guys. I, I think the movie's just fun to look at what's going on outside of the outside of the frame or whatever. You know. Yeah. All right. Is that is that it? I don't know. You guys haven't said much. Anything else you want to add? No, I <laughs> I like the whip battle on the pivoting spike platform. That um, was way ahead of its time. No, I, I feel like I just don't want to be... I've said what I think of the movie, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, and I just didn't really care for it. Uh, I sort of zoned out halfway through. Just really didn't care. It was really bright, and I can see that it's kind of fun, but it just really was not my cup of tea. Except for the soundtrack, which I love. 
Yeah, I okay. guess I can I can okay. see that. Yep. I just uh, yeah, I, I maybe maybe my expectations were low, and I just kind of was really you know the, those uh, low expectations were very much exceeded. But um, yeah, I really again, Batman the movie comparison I think is a good one. I don't know, like but Batman is so funny. It is, but I think it's weird. Like when you say something is campy, even now, even though people kind of, you know, like Jay said, people have kind of accepted the '60s Batman series as you know, yes, it was trying to be funny and and it's supposed to be taken, you know, with uh, you know, uh, you're supposed to laugh at it basically. And but still, when you say something is campy, that turns a lot of people off. And I think. I don't know. I, I don't really understand See, I, why that is. I, I think Flash Gordon is campy in a bad way, and I think Batman is campy in almost like an airplane type of way. Like, it's so blatantly going for laughs. And right. I don't... Th- I Maybe, you know, you guys got a little bit different vibe. I don't think that Flash Gordon had that. I, I definitely think it was trying to have fun with itself mm-hmm. and not take itself seriously. I don't I'm not saying that, but I don't think it was going for straight up laughs. Like laughs. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah, I, I actually agree. I, I I mean I see the general comparison to Batman, but um I, I think the main comparison uh thing could similarity would be this idea of uh the innocent hero being corrupted. Right. And um, I think, again, not to keep pushing my idea, but with Rocky Horror Picture Show, the, you know, throwing two innocent people in, into a world where they are discovering sex and questioning, you know, their relationship. And I, I mean, that's, there's similar things in Batman, too, just not as direct, right. like with Catwoman and. Right, you know, stirrings in his utility belt and whatnot. <laughs> um, I think it's the same with Flash Gordon. Like, yeah, it's not. Does I don't think it's designed to be as laugh out loud funny. There's not jokes. There's not, but it's lighthearted and it's taking a hero. The humor is that the hero is so straight laced, straight laced and impressionable and naive and and uh, earnest and throwing him into that environment that's got s- these women. Um, that are trying to corrupt him and his love interest that, you know, is going through the same thing. She's being fed this alcohol and she's in this skimpy outfit and she's being forced to shoot people. And I think the humor is more subtle, but I mean, it's it's there. The comparison is there. They do make the point in the movie, though, that humanity is better for being sweetly naive. I mean, like all of the naivete of let's just team up and get this guy. That's yeah. an actual line from the movie. The fact that he's a football player. Yeah. He's a, a homegrown, you know... Corn-fed. Yeah. Uh, blind, muscle-bound, I assume quarterback or whatever. Um, you know, he's an innocent, impressionable guy. And Yeah, I think that, you know, definitely his character is a big part of what kind of uh, got me on board. Like, I don't know if if it was just me, I found he really reminded me of, like, Ashton Kutcher from that 70s show. And I actually am not a huge fan of Ashton Kutcher, but just that same sort of goofy, like, not so bright, but, you know, I'm going to try and get through this anyway kind of attitude. And, you know, like, 
you know, you're in a rocket ship and all of a sudden you're, you know, fighting, you know, crazy tyrants in outer space and but you know, he just rolls with it. Like whatever. Like <laughs> so it reminds the- me of Chris Klein's character from Election. Yes. Yeah, yes. Well, the scene at the end when every the day is saved and all the birdmen go and do skywriting, which is kind of goofily awesome. Thanks, Flash. <laughs> uh, when when it when Ming's little big trouble in little China robot thing looks at him and it's got that wide angle lens and Flash just looks at at the robot and goes yeah <laughs> and jumps up. That's just it's too funny for words. Like that's just. What other movie could get away with that? Like only this movie could pull that off. It just—I'm uh, <laughs> surprised they didn't like end the movie like right on that freeze frame. Like that would yeah. be their 400 blows moment. Uh, but yeah, I—I I, kind of—I just hate to kick a movie that's so bloody exuberant, considering all of the people that work on the movie were quite were involved with very highbrow, stern, often grim other films. Max von Sydow with Bergman, all of Mike Hodges' other stuff. I, it's just funny. Like Everyone just said, let's just go and have fun. And, and, and I think that rubs off. And not to keep bringing up comparisons, but another movie tonally that it reminds me of is uh, Big Trouble, or sorry, Rumble in the Bronx um, with the uh, really sort of uh, overly uh, archetypical bad guys and like the morals and the lessons and Jackie Chan chastising everyone, you know, for for being bad and uh, the little kid in the wheelchair, like all that stuff in that movie is so over the top that I I love that movie and you could very easily watch it and be like this is fucking horribly written, the characters are terrible, the bad guys are like cartoon characters. But that's part of the charm of the movie for me, like the fact that everyone sort of has this like naive, like they're bad guys, but in that like we've never actually met a real bad guy before. We're we're cartoon bad guys, twirling so, mustache bad guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean so, that costume design on Ming is is pretty impressive. I mean he's always got the golden halo on there but it's funny like it shows how flimsy everything is on the thing because when he has to get into bed with the girl um he has to fumble with his he has to fumble with his belt and get it off and you can see it's just like a piece of silk like it's just completely yeah it's movie magic yeah i mean i guess there's not a lot to dig into in terms of what this movie means. There's nothing there, but, you know, for once it's kind of fun to talk about a movie like that, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that kind of seals up the deal with Flash Gordon and this episode. Um, I guess we can talk a little bit about what we're planning. Well, first of all, thanks for everybody who has actually downloaded the show, because the last episode we had was Four months ago, <laughs> or it seems like it was a long time ago. Anyway, yeah, I think we were. Well, I think we were recorded at the end of, or no, it was early this year because we were aiming to do the next one in like April, I think. Yeah, exactly. So it's been so a it's been like February or something. Wow, so that long. So hopefully we'll 
get into this a little bit more more regularly again, kind of a bi-monthly or every two-month deal. And so I guess we've decided on a crash double bill for the next episode. So that would be Cronenberg's crash and Haggis's crash. And I think that'll be kind of an interesting discussion because I know everybody's... You either love or hate both of those movies. So kind of be interesting to see where everybody falls on that side of the fence. Um, and I guess that would be it. So does anybody have any last thoughts? Looking forward to the crash double bill. <laughs> all right. And so uh, you can find all of our work, uh, Marina's at quietearth.us, as well as Row 3, and Kurt is at Row 3. Jay, documentary blog, and the film junk, uh, filmjunk.com. And also, Sean, you're at Film Junk, of course, as well. And I'm Andrew James from Row 3. So again, thanks for listening, and definitely leave your thoughts in the comment section. Uh, Movieclubpodcast.com. Yes, sir. And uh, so we look forward to that discussion with you guys. So thanks again for listening. For everybody else, have a good one. Stop all engines. Repel borders. with me.